Would you, if we get ready for this morning's message, would you go to the Lord in prayer with me? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that we can worship you this morning. Father, we thank you for that we get to gather and, and, and sing praise to your name and study your scriptures. And Father, we just praise your holy name. Father, I pray for um, healing over those. Uh, there's many that are sick, Father, and, and whether it's nursing homes or in the hospital today. And Father, we just pray through the blood of Jesus that you would heal them and restore them and strengthen them today. Let them know that they are loved by you. And Father, for those that are feeling discouraged today, I just pray your spirit of encouragement over them. I pray that you would just uh, rest in them, Father, as they would rest in you as well. Father, we just thank you for your word. And Father, change us. Help us to hear your word and be moved by your word, to, to be a light and an example in this community and in this nation for your glory and for your goodness. We love you, Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You can be seated. If you have your Bibles, uh, pull them out. We would, we're going to be digging into Judges chapter 6 today, Judges chapter 6, uh, looking at Gideon a little bit today. Uh, anyone out there uh, admit to having some fears or phobias? Anyone? Okay. Anyone have a fear of heights? Okay. You know, I got a little bit of that. Uh, you know, anyone have a fear of snakes out there? Yeah, there's some common ones that maybe some of you have had before. These phobias, what they do is they cause stress in our lives to where our normal daily life functions just aren't able to function like we're supposed to, like a normal day. And so I wanted to share a few of them. Maybe you've struggled with uh, anyone, arachnophobia. Maybe you've recognized that one. That's the fear of spiders. Some of you are like, no, no, I will not touch a spider. There's uh, necrophobia. There's the fear of death. Okay, and then there's glossophobia, which is the fear of public speaking. And uh, it's pretty incredible. A lot of people say that they have more of a fear of public speaking than they do a fear of death. And, uh, and I was reading an article about public speaking. My uh, son is taking a college class in public speaking. And so I wanted to uh, share with you, it's pretty interesting. He said, but this will help you if you ever have a fear of public speaking. Before you go on the stage, stand still and feel the ground beneath your feet. Close your eyes. Imagine yourself suspended from the ceiling by a thin thread. And then make you, imagine yourself being made of rubber. Look into a mirror. And make a horse's laugh with your lips. Why not lie on the ground and pretend you're floating? Okay, so those are, if you ever wonder what I'm doing up here before I come up here to speak, those might be some of the things. So please just don't watch me, all right? So uh, those are some of the common ones. Maybe you've heard of some of these others that aren't so common. There's octophobia, which is the fear of the number eight. Okay, there's um, olfactophobia, which is the fear of foul smells. Okay, and uh, Dorophobia, there's some, probably some parents out there that have Dorophobia, um, but it's not what you think. It's uh, the fear of animal fur, okay? Um, there's Tocophobia, which is the fear of pregnant women. Some uh, husbands might have had that one before, you know, Tocophobia. Um, then there's um, Ophelophobia, which is the fear of belly button. I'm not sure if that's innies or outies, but it's probably all of it um, as well. And there's uh, arachnobutophobia. I'm not sure on that one. It's the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. 
I don't know if you're struggling with that one. And uh, there's probably the windbagophobia, which is the fear of long sermons. Um, and so you probably all struggle with that today, um, but that is actually made up, that one. And there's one more that's kind of interesting. There's nomophobia, okay? And uh, it's really no more phone. Anyone else? I know people that just freak out when they are separated from their phone. This is a real phobia. And it's like their life is missing, right? Someone's stealing your life or something like that. We freak out. But here's the deal. Fears of all kinds uh, are part of life. And your success in life will, in a large part, be determined by how well you manage your fears. C.S. Lewis wrote that, you know what, the Christians rarely talk about courage uh, as a virtue. And yet we need courage in all of life in order to live it for the Lord and all those other virtues. And so as we look at Judges chapter 6 today, we're going to look at Gideon. But I want you to know some of you may have fears today. I don't know what fears you're carrying in today. Some people have a fear of, you know, maybe a fear of the future, what they're going to hear and what's going to happen to them. Some people have fear of like, what's the, you know, doctor going to say? What's the news going to be about? Some of us have a fear of where our kids are going, how they're going to turn out because they're making some pretty, you know, bad decisions right now. Maybe it's the fear of a new relationship or ending a relationship or, or not being in a relationship. All of these fears, in Judges today, we're going to see who a guy who is actually not very courageous, but yet God still makes him into the hero nonetheless. And so what I want you to see today as we get, jump into this passage in chapter 6, verse 1, God doesn't reward courage with a calling. He creates courage in a calling that he's given to you. So chapter 6, verse 1, we're going to read a bunch of chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, follow along, or you can follow along on the screen as well. This is what it says. Last week, remember, we looked at Deborah. Deborah, um, she was a a judge, and she, um, we we looked at that. She has now died, okay? Chapter 6, verse 1 says, The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. Whenever the Israelites, in verse 3, planted crops, the Midianites would come up against them and leave no substance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. Verse 4, they would come in like locusts in numbers, so they laid waste to the land as they came in. Here's what happens. They came in and devoured everything, all right? They literally are like a swarm of locusts. They, they devoured the animals. They even devoured the tools that were used to produce crops. You know, it's kind of like the IRS, right? When they take everything, nothing's left, right? It just feels like that. So that's what the Midianites were doing. Verse 6, let's keep going. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt, and I brought you out of the house of slavery. Verse 9, And I drove out your oppressors from before you and gave you your land. Verse 10, And I said to you, I am the Lord your God, and you shall not fear. For you have not obeyed my voice. Now, I want to stop just for a moment. It seems kind of odd here. They are crying out for help, right? They are crying out for um, someone to deliver them from the hardship that they're in. And the Lord sends a prophet, okay, uh, for deliverance. They weren't asking for uh, a sermon. They were asking for help. 
It's kind of like when you, if your car breaks down and you're on the side of the road. You call AAA. And instead of sending a, uh, maybe a tow truck, they send you a pamphlet about safe driving. You're like, no, no, I actually want help here. And that's kind of what's going on here. But the deal is, is Israel's problem wasn't really primarily the Midianites. They were their own problem, okay? They were asking for deliverance, but God said, hey, what you need first is a little sermon. And some of you today, you know, might be in that category. Maybe there's something you're praying about. You're like, Lord, I need you to answer this. I need you to increase this. I need you to give me this. And God's saying, you know what? First, I want to I talk to you. I want to teach you something. And that might be what he's doing here. There's a psalm, Psalm uh, 119, verse 67, and it says this, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. Before I had hardship, I was lost, I was wandering away, but now I obey your word. So maybe today, God is using some of those hardships, those difficulties, what you're going through, to draw you back, to bring you back to himself. Verse 11, let's keep going on. This is what it says. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree in Oprah. Now, how do the people respond to getting a prophet instead of deliverance? Well, before they even respond, I want you to see this. God's already working. He sends an angel to sit under the tree. And so sometimes we need to grasp this. We don't get ourselves into shape and then God comes for us. He comes for us while we are a mess, while we are a wreck. His word says, I died for you while you were yet still sinners. That's what Jesus says to us. So I want you to know, first of all, he sends an angel to sit under the tree. This is what it says. While Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. So what was Gideon doing? He was beating wheat, okay? Let me explain to you. Wheat, um, if you wanted to uh, beat wheat to get it the, the good grain that you need in order to make food, what you would do, what they would have done, is they would have taken a basket full of wheat and they would have tossed it up in the air. You want to do this outside where there's a good amount of wind. Because when you toss it up in the air, then all the chaff will blow off, the worthless part, and the good part that they need, the heavy grain, will fall back down. So you would want to do it out in the open. He's down, Gideon says it's down, he's down in the wine press. Let me tell you, the wine press area would have been the worst place to do this. It's like he's down in a bunker, and he's down in this bunker where there's no wind, and he's trying to, you know, prep the wheat. And it's, why is he down there? Because he is afraid. That's why he's down here. So the point is, I want you to see here, he is no, you know, Chuck Norris. He's not any Nicolas Cage here. This is no real brave dude, all right? So I want you to see that. that Verse 12, let's continue on. It says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. The Lord is with you. So if this was a play or a musical, okay? Let's say like uh, Oklahoma or a music man or whatever it was, okay? If this was a play, this line... Oh, mighty man of valor would have been like the punchline. This would have been when everybody laughed. You're like, oh, mighty man of valor, you're hiding in a wine press trying to make some weight, right? Gideon's hiding in a hole. 
This is like going up to a guy that's four foot 11, 120 pounds and saying, what up, big guy? You know, it's like, you know, kind of like you're not getting the picture here. So is he making mockery? No, he's actually not. The main point of this is that God doesn't speak to Gideon based upon who he currently is. He speaks about him, about who he's making him to be. Okay, so God is, you know, not, Gideon is actually not called because of his courage. Because we see him down the wine press. He's not being very courageous. He's making courageous calls as a result of what God's doing in him. And that's why he's going to be stepping up here. And that's what God does with us as well. So I hope you see that is good news. Because when you and I came to the Lord, we were a mess. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, let me tell you, we are a mess in our sin. And then he, in his righteousness, is making us into his righteousness. So God looks at this cowering man in the hole. He says, hey, man of valor, stand up. Verse 13, let's go on. But Gideon said to him, he says two questions to him. Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then is this all happening to us? So he's asking him a question, why is this all happening to us? But really is it, you know, is it God that's left the people? Or the people have left the God? That, that's really what's going on. The people have left God. So the second question, kind of even more confusing, says, where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us? God, why aren't you doing those great things that you did for our grandparents and our parents? Why aren't you doing those anymore for us? Well, Gideon, you know, first of all, there's an angel right in front of you. You know, that's a pretty wonderful thing, but he's not recognizing that. Let's look at his specific answer in verse 14. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? So God's answer to Gideon is, you know, where are all my wonderful deeds? He says, well, I'm about to do them through you, Gideon. I'm about to do these wonderful deeds through you. And the point is, is we are the work of God in our generation. He wants to use us. And that's, that we need to take that away and own that. One thing I just kind of want to point out to you, it's just kind of interesting. In verse 12, who is this angel? He's called in verse 12 an angel. And, and it, it talks about the Lord in the third person. But then in verse 14, he directly called, he's called the Lord directly. Well, that kind of made, it was kind of confusing in the Hebrew Bible up to the point that we had Christ. And once Christ came, it all makes sense. So people call this a Christophany. There's times in Old Testament where Christ showed up and Jesus was both the messenger and being God himself as well. So it's just kind of an interesting thing. Let's go on here. Verse 15. And Gideon said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. In other words, God, I'm small. I, I'm a coward. I, you know, I'm here in the bunker threshing wheat, right? Why, why use me? And verse 16 is very, very important. I would encourage you, if you have a pen, underline it, circle it. Verse 16, and the Lord said to him, but I will be with you. 
That's God's one-line answer to everything, okay? Everything you need to know in that statement is, I will be with you. And incredibly important, and he says, and you shall strike the, um, the Midianites as one man. In other words, you're going to take out that mighty ar- army of Midian. You're going to take them all out like a little, little wimpy man. Verse 17, and Gideon said to him, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that, is you, that it's you who speaks with me. So the angel tells Gideon, prepare me some food, prepare some food. So Gideon puts food on the table. He prepares food. The angel touches the food with his staff and then flames spring up out of the rocks and consume the food. And then the angel disappears. And Gideon is convinced, okay, God, it's you. You are behind this. Pretty clear there. Verse 25, let's continue on. That night the Lord said to him, pull down the altar of Baal that your father has. Real quick, just note there, where does it all start? It's he starts with starting what's, what's in your house, Gideon. That's what you tear down. Tear down, tear down that, that altar to Baal. Verse 26, and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold there. Verse 27, so Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord told him, but because he was too afraid of his family and the men in town to do it by day, he did it by night. Again, okay, this is no Braveheart, no William Wallace here. He didn't have the courage to do it during the day, but he did it at night and he did obey. So you can see that God doesn't criticize him here because he's thankful for his obedience. That's more important than his courage. And so the next morning, what happens? Everyone wakes up and they say, what happened to our statue to Baal, right? And they said, you know, someone says, Gideon did this. So they say, let's kill Gideon. Verse 31, but Joash, Gideon's father, said to all who stood against him, if Baal really is God, let him contend for himself. Let him fight for himself. Verse 32, therefore, on that day, Gideon was called Jerubbabel. This is to say, let Baal defend himself because Gideon had broken down his altar. There is another little small piece of humor there. This small cowardly guy actually gets nicknamed Baal Tail Whipper. That's what it comes out against. He is known as the Baal Tail Whipper. And so uh, we may raise up more of those in this church as well. So, well, after this, verse 33, the Midianites launch into a massive assault on Israel at which the angel of God appears to Gideon again and says, hey, you need to mount up in a resistance. You need to fight against him. And Gideon says, okay, but God, how can I make sure that you're going to do this with me? Not, not that it's my own idea. And this is where he gets the, the fleece idea, the animal skin idea. He says, he goes out and he says, okay, God, if you're really with me in the morning, let the ground be completely dry. And then this animal fleece, this, this, this fleece, let it be soaking wet. Verse 38 says this, and it was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Well, then Gideon goes, wait a second, Lord, that was way too easy. <laughs> Uh, we need to, actually, I wanted to do the opposite. So I want the, the fleece to be dry, and I want the ground to be covered in dew and be wet. And that would be a real miracle. That's what I want to see, Lord. So verse 40, and God did so that night. 
and only the fleece was dry. On all the ground there was dew. This is kind of the famous fleece test where we kind of verify things with God. We have litmus tests where we say, God, if you're really in this, you know, let me do this. And, and we kind of throw this out. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But the thing is, with our remaining time, I'm going to give you five quick points this morning about how we can learn about courage and really calling from this story in Gideon. The first thing I want you to see here is that God doesn't call the brave. He makes brave the called. That's what he does. When God comes to you, he never starts with where you're at, okay? He starts with what he sees in you, what he wants to do in you in Jesus Christ. So he looks at this man cowering in a hole and he says, hey, mighty man of valor. And think about Moses. He says, Moses, you're going to be my mouthpiece. And Moses is like, you sure I'm going to be, you know, he has a stu- he's like stuttering. He's like, you want me to be your mouthpiece? I think about probably the best example is Abraham in Genesis. He says, you're going to be the father of a mighty nation. And he said, are you kidding me? That, w- that would have been great, Lord, if you told me that when I was in my 30s. But, you know, Lord, I'm too old for that now. There's no way. And we see God do this. God does this with you as well. He speaks to you and says, this is who you are in Jesus Christ. Do you believe him? We have to trust him. Let me tell you, uh, Satan and the Lord's voice, the Holy Spirit's voice is significant because they'll both talk about your sin. But Satan, here's what he does. He starts with what you've done and then he defines you by it. And he reminds you of all these things that prove his point about who you are. He calls you a failure. That's what Satan does. Calls you a coward. You'll never be anything good. There's no way. And he's, that's who our accuser is, day and night. But God says, you are my beloved. You are my child. In you, I am well pleased. He says, you are righteous. That's who the Lord says. The difference is, is that Satan will beat you up over and over and over again with your sins. And God says, this is who I see who you are in Christ. And I'm going to grow you into that as you obey the Holy Spirit's presence in your life. That's what he says. And some of us are waiting on God to, you know, kind of confirm things before we jump in. I'm telling you, friends, sometimes we think, I'll obey you once I see the results. And God says, that's not how it is. That's the wrong order. You first step out of the boat, then I will show you how to walk. And so we got to obey the Lord. we got to trust in Him. So that's uh, number one. He, he will, when He calls you, he'll, then He'll make you brave. Number two, I want you to see this. We are the activity of God in this generation. In our generation, God wants to use you. God answers Gideon's question. God, why don't we see some things that you did in our grandparents and our parents? Why don't we see that today? And He says, Gideon... I'm here and I'm using you. That's what he says. So friends, we are the activity of God in this generation. 
That's what the whole of Scripture teaches us, that he's continuing his work in and through the body of Christ. That's what he's doing. He's given us his Holy Spirit. He's given us spiritual gifts. And I tell you, you know, I, I work really hard and I want to pre- present a sermon that you guys can help and understand. But I got to tell you, if you take away anything, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's God working on your heart and on your life, friend. That's what it is. And we need to be people that are praying for, in faith praying for healing, the praying as the body of Christ. That's who God has called us to be. And we need to remember that we are the activity of God. I want you to know, I really believe that our greatest spiritual outpouring are ahead of us. Why do I believe that? Because, one, I've got kids. And one day they're going to have kids. And I want those kids to know the fullness of, of living in, in the, the fullness of Christ. But I also know that there's also 6,000 unreached people groups that haven't heard the gospel yet. And so we've got work to do. And so the answer to that is you are going to be used in this generation for the glory of God. He wants to conduct his power through you. And so he is using us. And his activity is absolutely alive and active in this generation through us. The third thing I want you to see from this story is that revival, newness, freshness of your spiritual life, revival starts at home. Gideon's first assignment was to get rid of the idols in his own home. That's where he says, and before we want to go out and do battle with the enemy out there in the world, in the community, we need to do battle with the enemy within inside of us. And some of you say, you know, I don't have any idols. Okay, you know what? Well, we may not have a real understanding of how Gideon's idols looked. I want you to know, Gideon's idols weren't something that he worshipped instead of God. No, he worshipped God. He absolutely did. He worshipped them, though, in addition to God. Okay? It's not that they had ever really rejected God. They just wanted to have idols as kind of a backup. So instead of, you know, we'll trust you, Lord, but we've got to have crops that produce. So we're going to have a a God, an idol of water. And and we're going to, you know, I've got to have resources, so we're going to have, you know, a a God of provisions. We're going to have, you know, they would have gods of fertility. All these different things as kind of a backup plan. So I don't know where you're at today, but maybe you're fully trusting the Lord, but maybe you've also got some things. I'm just keeping these as backup plans. And you really, God wants you to go all in today. And, and one of the, maybe a sign that you have some idols, just a possibility for you this morning, is this area of disobedience and anxiety, okay? Because when we disobey, it's, sometimes we just don't trust God with all the areas of our lives. You know what? God, I know I'm supposed to trust you for my marriage, But that area of relationship, I want to just make sure it doesn't seem like anything's happening right now. So I'm going to make sure it happens how I want to. I'm just going to kind of take that one back over. And that's what we do. And anytime we start disobeying, I want you to know what happens is it's usually accompanied by anxiety. And you start to feel in your spirit kind of a worry because we we do anything we have to to hold on to these idols that we worship alongside of God. A lot of us, you know, it's our kids. God, I will give you anything but my kids. I'm like, my kids, I need to make sure they turn out a certain way and they get in a certain job or, you know, certain careers, you know, and we, we, but we got to turn those over to the Lord. And a lot of times we got to let go of those disobedience and that will let go of anxiety. 
and, and I want you to know the fourth point as we continue on this morning is that courage is not the absence of fear. It's following God in the midst of fear, okay? God's one-line answer to Gideon's fear is that he says, I am with you. That's the one-line answer to every feeling of fear and inadequacy you have. The Lord says to you today, I am with you. The question for you with this is, what would it be like if in any situation you knew that God was absolutely with you? As you're heading in to that surgery, there's an angel saying, hey, I'm, I'm here and I'll be here when you get back. Or, or maybe you get a new job and, and you hear from the Lord, I'm with you in that new job. Or maybe you're going into a, hey, I want to serve in the children's ministry. Well, I've always served in the youth and so I want to switch. You know, God is saying, I am with you. Maybe when you share the gospel with somebody that you're, you're really nervous about sharing the gospel with and they, the Lord says, I am with you. You know, maybe you're dealing with problems at home and you just hear, I am with you. Here's the deal. Everything in the secular world, when it's talking about fear, overcoming your fear, says, you know what you need to do? You need to kind of stop thinking about things that scare you. That's what the secular world says. Don't think about the things that scare you and then you won't have any fear. Let me tell you, God's peace comes a different way. It's not when you close your eyes to the things that, you know, concern you, but it's opening your eyes to the presence of God right there beside you, Amen. that he is with you, and you focus more on the Lord. No, you know, I, I've got, I'm a little concerned the Lord's with me. No, he's with me, you know, and so that's what it is, opening your eyes to see his power and his might right there with you. And it leads Gideon to ask the question, you know what, um, you know, how do we know that we have your favor and your blessing? So that's why he throws out that fleece. And my final point is this for us this morning. The cross of Jesus Christ is our wet fleece, okay? Gideon asked God to prove himself to them by throwing out this fleece. And he says, you know what, I want to make it wet and then dry around. And he says, no, 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 change it up. And he does that for the, you know, and, and that, you know, for a lot of us in our faith, a lot of times we do this. Anyone else make little flee statements to the Lord? I got to admit, I've done it before, you know. Uh, you know, Lord, if you want me to ask this girl out, I'm going to hit this half-court shot, right? And then you just, you know. Sometimes if you really wanted to ask her out, you just keep shooting. You're like, Lord, please, you know, you know, you kind of make those statements. Anyone else ever, you know, pick the rose, the flower, and you're like, she loves me, she loves me not. But when you get close to the end, you start counting. You're like, there's seven left. Okay, so uh, that's an odd number. And you're like, she loves, she's going to love me. You know, you kind of change it up. You know, we make these deals with the Lord, don't we? And, and that's kind of what was going on here when he's throwing out this fleece. And it's one, fi it's fine way. I'm not saying you can't confirm things with God. That's one way. But I also want you to know we should absolutely attest every decision through Scripture, through prayer, and through the, uh, you know, people older in the faith. Go to them and ask their wisdom and their counsel on it. But here's the main point of what he's doing, you know, because Gideon actually knew that he was frustrating the Lord. He, in verse 39, um, he tells him, 
God tells, Gideon tells God not to be angry with him for asking. So he knows that he's kind of testing God's patience here. But here's, you know, what we need to know. God shows us so much more of who he is and than this fleece by going to the cross. In the darkest time in humanity, when there looked like there was no hope, the tomb was empty, friend. And because of that, we have hope. There is, uh, that is our assurance of no fear because he loves us like crazy, the Lord Jesus a verse I want to share with you, 1 John 4.18 says this, There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Okay? When we fear, it's because we feel vulnerable. Look at the garden. What happened in the garden? As soon as they took a bite of the apple, they felt a sense of their nakedness. They felt vulnerable, okay? And what we do is we cover ourselves up with good clothes and um, maybe a good job and a good reputation. And, and we, but the thing is, is all those things can be stripped away. What cannot be stripped away is the cross of Jesus Christ. So friends, that is his perfect statement of love for you today. And in it, I want you to know that love is perfect. Perfect in every which way. It's perfect in his intensity. God, I want you to know, could not love you any more than he does today. He absolutely loves you. And he's also constant in your lives. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He's perfect in his sufficiency. He has everything that you need that he is willing to provide, he possesses in, in the cross that he possessed for you, and he is absolutely sovereign as well. So friend, in that, we have the perfection of his love. So bury yourself in his love, in his perfect love, and that will drive out fear. Two verses I want you to see real quick, Numbers 23, 23. When the people and the children of Israel went into the promised land, they said, oh, you know what? The spies came back and they're like, they got some big guys over there. They got some big guys. And they also have some incredible magic and sorcery. And so they started probably wondering, you know what? I wonder if, you know, if our power is going to be limited over there. Numbers 23, 23 says, there is no sorcery that could succeed against Jacob, Okay. God's saying, whatever their name is, my name is bigger. That's what he's saying in that. And finally, Psalm 56, 11 says, In God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? The answer to that is nothing. Okay? There's nothing that any man can do to you, but we need to stand in the presence of God. So friend, take courage. Courage comes from being in the presence of Jesus and being in the presence of his promises of God's word. And that cannot be changed or reversed. That's what the gospel is. That's what we've been given in Jesus Christ. And God is saying to you today, hey, you may be feeling weak or maybe you're hiding in the wine press today. He says, hey, mighty man of valor. He says, hey, woman of courage, stand up. I am with you, and I want to use you. So we don't work up courage in our lives. It doesn't come from our personality. It comes from embracing our identity in Jesus Christ. That's where it comes from, and it's received as a gift. 
So I pray that we would understand this kind of courage as we trust a good and mighty God. Remember, someone of you might need to hear today, the Lord's saying, I am with you. As you walk out today, know that he is with you. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you um, for this morning. Thank you for digging into your word and this, uh, this story for us today and what you have for us to teach out of it, God. I pray that we would grasp your depth and your power and your might and your perfect love for us, Lord. Lord, sometimes we walk in and we, we kind of see some roadblocks or we see some difficulties. We're like, God, how are you going to do? How's that going to happen? God, if you want me to do this, we throw out our tests. But Lord, your presence is what we need. Thank you for going to the cross for us so that we can have a right relationship with you. Lord, I pray for those that don't know you today that they would put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. Receive you as their Lord and Savior. Because Lord, it doesn't start about, it's not about us getting perfect and then you using us. No, we're a mess. We're a wreck. But by the power of your word and power of the Holy Spirit living inside us in the presence of Jesus Christ, you are making us into what you have for us and what you're calling us to be. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hear the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Have a blessed week.